Well, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, and happy Father's Day to those dads that may be joining us by way of watching online. I'm just so glad that you're with us, um, and you know, we need to pray for uh, the dad letting his kid in the trunk. Um, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, that was the same dad in the dress, so <clears throat> might need to have some prayer meetings or something. All right. We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we just kicked this off last week going verse by verse through the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, and he's writing this letter to this church uh, because he's been away from them. He wants to come and see them, but actually they're under quite a great deal of persecution, and Paul's trying to encourage them, and he's trying to help them to see the validity of the message of the gospel, to be able to persevere and to live in light of eternity. So the title of my message, if you are a note taker, is Legit Living. And that's what Paul is really talking about here in this second part uh, of this letter. He begins to defend the gospel and also defend his own reputation, not for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel. Because he doesn't want these people to think that this message that he came to them with was something that he had all these other strings attached, and he was trying to convince them of something, but his life didn't match up. He was trying to show them, remember when I did this, and how you saw this in me, and remember how I taught you this, and how those two things match up. And I think that should encourage us as followers of Christ to do the same, to be the types of people who are legitimizing the gospel, not just by the words we say, but by the way that we're actually living our lives, kind of a being able to walk the talk type lifestyle. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's just go through the thing in its entirety so it'll give us a better picture. And just so you know, as you're studying Scripture, this is a great way to study Scripture, just to take that portion of Scripture and read it all the way through and then kind of go back and start over and begin to pick your way through it and see what the Lord shows you as you're studying Scripture for yourself. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not only to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we, ne for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any one of you while we proclaimed the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father is with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, 
who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Here Paul begins to let these folks know, listen, I am more concerned about making sure you understand the gospel message we brought you was legitimized by the way we conducted ourselves while we were with you. So in other words, the testimony and the validity and the legitimacy of our message should be directly tied to the example that you saw us living out. So it wasn't like we were just really good speakers and we were people who just had these really convincing things to say, these really encouraging things to say or these really challenging things to say and we were just awesome at presenting and then when you saw us living it was kind of like we went into a different character no we lived among you and you saw not only uh, us coming and sharing this message of the gospel but you saw this thing lived out and i think that the apostle paul was showing them what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6 and 33, where he says to seek first the kingdom of God, living in light of eternity with, with the kingdom in mind. In other words, prioritizing the things of God above everything else, that what God would say would be most important would be the most important to us. And I think that here, Paul is saying, listen, we need to live in light of eternity because he's saying to them that our message needs to be received as legit. But for that message to carry weight, those who are speaking it, those who are claiming it, those who are identifying with it, man, their actions have to line up. Otherwise, you're going to go, man, those people talk a good talk, but their walk is really weak. We need to make sure that our talk and our walk line up, amen? And to be able to do that is not just to follow a bunch of rules because none of us are very good rule followers, okay? Now, okay, some of us are better than others at rule following. So it's not about adhering to a certain order or set of rules as much as it is being committed to a certain lifestyle. Because then it doesn't become about rules, it becomes about heart orientation. My heart begins to be oriented in a way where the things I used to do before I knew Christ, man, I'm beginning to change. I'm not wanting to do those things. I'm wanting to do other things that are actually pleasing to God. So the things I used to try really, really hard and work really, really hard to master and do, but I kept failing over and over again, and I felt like I was just a failure because I just couldn't measure up now. I'm doing it, it's almost like I'm not even trying because my heart is beginning to be oriented in a way that is going to please God because of what he's doing in me and how this gospel message has not only changed my eternity, but it's changed my outlook on my everyday. It's changed my value system. 
It's changed the way that I see relationships. It's changed the way that I see my time and my finances. It's changed the way that I prioritize things because now eternity has become the priority, not just me getting what I want every time I want it. Now I begin to think differently. I'm looking at the world with a different set of lenses on, and I'm seeing what matters to God, and I begin to value that, not because I'm supposed to and because some preacher told me to, but because the gospel has changed my heart, and now I'm wanting things I didn't want before, and I'm, I'm staying away from things I didn't even think was a big deal to stay away from before because Jesus Christ has met me and has changed my heart and my life and given me this priority because of His great worth to live in light of eternity. And Paul was saying in verses 1 through 4, he was saying, listen guys, we've already suffered and we were shamefully treated at Philippi, but you know that we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel to you in the midst of conflict. So in other words, you could tell that if we were going to come with this gospel message, you know, it would have been easier if everyone just gave us a standing ovation after we presented the gospel. Woohoo, everyone approved. Everyone loved it. But he said, no, actually, when we were sharing the gospel, it wasn't in the middle of everyone celebrating and going, man, the celebrity Paul is coming to town. Let's pack out the Colosseum and let's hear what this guy has to say. No, it was actually that he was met with opposition. He was treated poorly by people at Philippi. They, and he's saying, you guys remember this, right? You Thessalonians remember. So if we were going to come and actually preach something for our own gain, don't you think we would have picked a better thing to talk about? Don't you think we would have picked something that was a little bit more socially acceptable that everyone would have been like, woo, I can get on board with that? But actually what they preached and what they taught was Christ, and Christ offended them because it was much different from the way that they had been living, and they didn't like the change. They didn't want to accept it. And so those who would follow Christ, they would persecute severely. Now, at this point, the Thessalonians weren't experiencing people being killed for the sake of Christ, but they were pretty much losing their normal life that they had before Christ, the places they worked. There were people probably getting fired, losing their livelihoods over the gospel. There were people that were getting ostracized from their families. I don't want you around if you're going to believe in Jesus and all this other stuff because we serve this pantheon of gods and we've done it this way and my, our fathers did this and great-grandfathers and we've been doing this for generations. And they chose Christ over even that acceptance of their family because Christ became so valuable. We see that they probably weren't allowed even to go shopping at certain places. They used to go to certain markets, and then all of a sudden they walk in, oh, there's one of those Jesus people, one of those Jesus followers, and they wouldn't even allow them to do business with them. So their whole life has changed over the fact that they have heard and responded to the gospel. And here Paul is saying, listen, you know how we were treated, and you guys are, you, you get it. You saw us also being persecuted alongside you. This wasn't something popular. When we came, we were preaching a message of hope and of eternity because eternity was at stake. And eternity mattered more than being accepted by other people. And so Paul said, this is part of the proof because we were living in light of eternity. He's saying, you saw us be bold in the face of much conflict. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. He said in verse 2 that we were bold about God to declare the gospel to you in the face of much conflict conflict. We all enjoy being liked, whether we want to admit it or not. 
Some of us enjoy it a little more than others, and it becomes a priority to us. It becomes something that's important to us, that we want to be liked, we want to be affirmed, we want to be approved. And some of us have an unhealthy addiction to being liked. And if I'm honest with you, I'm one of those insecure people who struggles with this every day and I know that if someone didn't like a decision I made or if I upset someone over something, it bothers me to the core because of my own insecurities. And just if someone doesn't approve or, or if someone doesn't like this, and I wrestle with this, but even though I wrestle with my own insecurities, I still will stand up when something is right regardless of the cost, even though there is that temptation to just try to always do what someone will like instead of stand up for what is right. I remember there was a situation when I was a youth pastor in Arkansas that there was a person who I'd allowed to get very close to me. And this person had gotten extremely close to me and my wife, none of the guys saw this was going this direction, warned me about this person. <laughs> and, and as our wives often will do when we allow ourselves to get close to unhealthy individuals that we make excuses for, that we, oh, well, it's fine. This person's okay. Not a big deal. I allowed myself to give them an extreme amount of my trust and my wife warning me the whole time, you know, danger, danger, danger. And I just kept ignoring because I thought, oh, I knew better. And then it ends up that person was trying to be a predator in my youth ministry um, with some of the young people. And when all of that came out, Oh, man, I, I had to do something. I had to confront this individual, and I had to make some very difficult decisions and have a very difficult conversation. And for someone who wrestles with some of the things that I personally wrestle with, that in that moment all of a sudden shifts because now it's not about being liked. Now it's not about uh, filling some type of um, insecure void in, in my, my life. It becomes about doing the right thing. And every time that I've ever been faced with a situation like that, when it's the right thing to do, I'm willing to step up and do the right thing. And I think that what that shows us is that we are a people without excuse when it comes to standing up for the things that are right, the things that we clearly see God is leading us to do, the things that are clearly spelled out in a scripture, and the things that God wants us to do that are going to please Him and honor Him. We stand up for those right things, and we're willing to do it because guess what, folks? The right thing is always the right thing, okay? And, and if it's something God is leading us to do or it's something that He's clearly said in Scripture, these are the non-negotiables, and it doesn't matter your personality, it doesn't matter your background, and Paul is saying, listen, there's opposition everywhere, but if eternity matters more, then it doesn't matter if I'm liked or not because the bigger decision, the bigger picture here is impacting and affecting eternity, and those are the types of values that we should have as followers of Christ because it doesn't matter about the other people's approval. Even Paul here, he says, you know the way that we lived, we proved that we were doing this to please God, to be loved by God, not to be approved and loved by people. Our motive should be to please God and not men. So we are to live in light of eternity. Let's read through that next passage of Scripture, this next section, starting in verse 5, where he says, For we never came to you 
with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you that we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Not only do we need to live in light of eternity, but we need to embrace people authentically. We need to embrace others in an authentic way. Not to seek to be elevated in people's eyes, but seek instead to care for them, to be authentic, to be real. This lets people know that the gospel you preach is the gospel that you live. My kids are not impressed that I am the senior pastor at Word of Grace. They don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, man, I get to be the child of Pastor Derek. Word of Grace, boy, am I special. My kids don't feel special because I'm the pastor of this church. My kids feel special because I authentically and genuinely embrace them and value and put priority on them. That's what lets them know they're loved. Not my title, not my position, know the way I treat them. And it's not your title, it's not your position that lets people know whether or not you authentically care for them. It's the way that you treat them. People will forget many things that you say, but one of the things they will not forget is how you make them feel. Are we making people feel valued? Because if we are containers, conduits, carriers, representatives of this message of hope, of this message of love, of this message of grace, of this message of forgiveness and reconciliation with God, if we are the representatives of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 5 and 20 says, then I have to ask the question, are we being representatives of Christ by embracing people authentically? Because if we can tell them about the love of God, that's great, that's a wonderful message. If we can tell them about the truth of God, that's great, that's a wonderful message. Are they experiencing that through the way we treat them? through the way that we embrace them? Are we embracing them authentically? Or do we just know all the right things to say? Do we just know all the scriptures? Do we just know all of the token phrases to share with them? Or are we living those things out in a way where they're being experienced by those that God has given us influence with? Whether that be our spouse, whether that be our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our neighbors, our co-workers, whoever that may be, are they experiencing the things that we say and tell them are important? Because it's one thing to just say it, but it's another thing to feel it. And we want people to embrace God authentically, so we have to embrace them in an authentic way. And Paul uses like an, an uncomfortable term, especially if you're a guy. He uses an uncomfortable illustration to describe how much he loves people. Like, I, I mean, I, I would tell someone that I really love, like, man, I love you a lot. Like, I, I really care about you. I really value you. I don't know if I would ever say, I love you like a mother nursing her child. <laughs> like, you are that dear to me. I don't have any close friends like that close. That's a really intimate description. I love you like a mother nursing her child. Okay. In other words, he's describing something very deep, very passionate, 
very vulnerable, very, very close. He's saying, this is the way I care about you guys. He said, to where I just didn't come to you to preach the gospel and share the gospel. He said, I shared my very life with you. I shared who I was with you, not just me getting up and teaching and preaching about the gospel. We did life together. We shared life together. And to further impact, to further impacting eternity with our lives, we have to get close to other people. Oh, boy. Amen or oh me. Oh, I've been hurt before. I've been wounded. I understand. You've been disappointed. I have too. By people close. Yeah, absolutely. And the temptation is to not let anyone else get close because you want to avoid possibly getting hurt. But what we don't realize is that part of impacting eternity is letting people get close is being authentic, being genuine. This is why we have community groups at church, because we don't want to just be a church that has groups where it's some just thing that we do. No, we want to be a church made up of groups, because we want to give people an opportunity to connect and get close and to do life together in a real, authentic, genuine way, to where this, th these people you can, be, you, can, you can level with, you can be real with, you can share with, you can be vulnerable with, you can trust and even if someone betrays and abuses your trust or hurts you, you don't give up and you don't say, well, I'm never allowing myself to get close to people again. Maybe you learn, maybe you become wiser the next time you have a relationship with someone where you don't do certain things that maybe you did before if there's a teachable moment there. But it doesn't mean you just stop altogether just because you got wounded. Part of Word of Grace's calling, if you will, and I say this to anyone who's gone to my next move class, is that I believe Word of Grace has kind of a, a, a niche calling, if you will, that is specifically targeted at people who may be carrying around wounds from church, wounds from another leader, wounds from another person calling themselves a Christ follower, wounds from maybe even another pastor, to where they come through our doors, and when I get to know people and I hear a part of their story, I hear wound, and I hear woundedness. And, and I'm not the quickest person on the planet. You can ask my wife. She knows I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. But when I start hearing something over and over and over and over and over again, I kind of perk up and go, maybe there's something to this that God keeps sending these types of people with these types of challenges and issues our direction. And so as I look, I've seen God bring about healing in a lot of people who have come in with a lot of wounds, a lot of distrust, honestly, from church leadership um, because they didn't, uh, they, they, they come in with their arms folded and they sit back and they don't want to get too close because they don't want to get too involved. They don't want to get too plugged in. They don't want to get too connected because they're afraid they're going to be disappointed they're afraid they're going to be hurt again. They're afraid they're going to be wounded again. And instead of getting connected, they just stay at a distance because they don't want to allow themselves to get too close. I, I believe God calls those types of people to this church because God has, uh, for some reason, uh, wired us to help people walk through those seasons. And sometimes people are just here for a season just to get healed, and then they go back. I, we've had actually three pastors come to this church who um, two of those are, are back into ministry, um, and they came and they were carrying tremendous amounts of disappointment and, and wounds, and God used 
just our church family to surround them, love them, and, and now they're back doing what God has called and created them to do. And there have been others who have come through our doors the same way. And, and I think that what happens is that if, if, if we're willing to be vulnerable, if we're willing to be transparent, if we're willing to allow ourselves to get close, then we can actually open up and find that healing. Because let me tell you, you can put on your tough guy and your tough gal face, and you can build up all these boundaries and develop all these thick calluses to try to deflect ever getting hurt again, but you're just trying, you're, what you're really protecting is you're protecting your wound instead of allowing that thing to heal. And you're just keeping hanging on to that wound and hanging on to the past. And the only way to find healing from that stuff is to, is to open up, to be vulnerable, to get close again and let God heal that because it's not going to be a person that heals that, but your willingness to be vulnerable will make, your, uh, make you more tender to what God's trying to do in you, what he's trying to bring about your way. And I could tell you story after story on that, and there's so many powerful things uh, about that. But we always say that we're conduits, not containers. So that means that if God does something for us or to us, whether that may be through a sermon you hear or a, an answer to prayer, or that may be just him tanking you up with, with knowledge or whatever the case may be or having a great experience, it's not for you. What? That's right. Because it is ultimately not for you it's ultimately all done for the glory of god so that means whatever happens to me needs to flow through me not stop with me because if i just hear a good message and i get tanked up god just doesn't look at all of us and go man look at all those full pots there look at all those full vessels isn't this awesome? All these people are just filled up. God doesn't get glorified by just seeing us filled up uh, uh, with a bunch of knowledge, with a bunch of scripture, with, with all these things. We always want to work on ourselves, better ourselves, us, us, us. And we make becoming a better version of ourselves an idol. And so we'll chase after it. And we'll just want to be this great version of ourselves. For what? Is there a purpose behind it? If you're living in light of eternity, there is. Because you realize you're blessed to be a blessing you realize that to whom much is given much is required you realize that god is healing you so you can help love on and bring healing and love to other people you realize you're being tanked up with truth not just so you can be smarter and know more truth but so you can go and give more truth to other people but to be able to do that and to get out of container mode you got to be willing to get close to somebody it's just part of the deal. I know you may not be a people person, but everyone is a person person. <laughs> At some level, you may not want to stand in front of a crowd like I do, but that's my gift. That may not be your gift. That's okay. It doesn't mean I'm better than you. It just means we have different gifts. Just because someone speaks to a larger crowd doesn't mean they're more important. What does matter is that you're obedient with, God's put, with what he's put on the inside of you. That's really what matters at the end of the day is obedience, not the quantity, but the obedience in which you're serving God. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And they want to know, are, is this person authentic? Are they genuine? Do they really care about me? And then they'll be willing to open up and listen to the things that you have to say when you realize it's not all for you and it's not all about you and you're willing to embrace authentically. The next thing is to give generously. 
Paul said, listen, I'm not in this deal for what I can get out of it. He said, verse 9, remember, brothers, our labor, our toil, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you while we were sharing the gospel of God with you. In other words, Paul, he had a job outside of teaching. And what his job was, more than likely, is that he was a tent maker because we see that he did that previously. That was one of his uh, skills that he had was he was a tent maker. And so Paul said, listen, I was earning my keep because you guys have been struggling. Remember, they have been living under a great opposition. A lot of these people have probably lost their jobs. A lot of these people don't have the resources that they used to have. And so Paul said, I'm not coming in here demanding anything because I'm an apostle. He said, but because I am an apostle, I could have. I could have come in here and said, Paul the apostle is here. You guys are going to take care of me, right? Because I'm here to share the gospel. He said, I didn't do that. He said, because I know you're suffering and I know you're struggling. So I went to making tents or whatever he did. So I wouldn't be a burden to you because you're already burdened with enough. Paul didn't want to be an additional burden to these people. He wanted them to see that the gospel was so important that he was willing to go into another career and not just demand to be taken care of and waited on hand and foot because he was an apostle. He said, I could have. Me and Silas and Timothy, we could have said, hey, you guys need to take care of us because we're brothers in Christ and we're here to preach the message of the gospel and and we don't need to be distracted with these other things. But he said, no, I know these people are suffering. I know they're struggling And so I'm not even going to ask that of them, even though I could, because I want them to see that I am legitimately living out what I'm preaching. I'm wanting them to see this is really important, so I'm going to give of myself generously. I'm not in this deal for what I can get out of it. No strings attached, the Apostle Paul was basically saying to them. He wanted them to see that his motive was them for to receive the gospel, not for him to make a profit from the gospel. This is why he did what he did. And Paul was loving them without strings attached. And it was very important to him that he wanted them to know that. Whether this part of the letter was in response to accusations that had already been made, or whether he was just preparing them for accusations that were to come. He wanted them to know, listen guys, you remember these things. You remember me walking through this with you. I'm reminding you that this is how we lived among you, so that the message that I'm preaching to you you can take as genuine and legit because of the way I lived in front of you. You see, when you give generously to others of your time, talent, and treasure, you should not do it to get recognized. Paul said, I wasn't trying to get recognized or hold something over someone's head. You know, like when you help your buddy move and then it's time for you to move and you call him up on a Saturday and you're like, hey, I'm moving this Saturday and... um, you know, I could really use some help. And they're like going, oh man, they helped me. Oh, and they're thinking, oh, I've got to cut the grass. Uh, and they're trying to think of anything they can think of, but they almost have this sense of obligation, right? Like, I remember they did this for me, so I feel obligated to do it for them. Paul said, I'm not coming to you like that. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to say, look at what I did. I want you to feel bad, so you owe me something. He said, no, I loved you with no strings attached. I wasn't doing this so you would pay me back later. Because he understood he was living in light of eternity. He was embracing these people authentically, and he was giving of himself generously to them just to bless them because he wanted to show them that they were loved by God. 
And when we love people without strings attached, without just trying to get something from them, it opens them up to see that what we say we're about, we really are about. It opens them up to go, those people are the real deal. Those people over at Word of Grace, they're the real deal because they're not just trying to get something out of me. They're not just trying to put a guilt trip on me. Those are the things that I believe that when they're said about people or a family or a church, I believe those things glorify God and legitimize the gospel because we know the very opposite things are also things that will uh, <laughs> make the gospel seem like it's not very attractive or good to those who have not yet heard when all they may criticize is, well, those people are just after my wallet. Those people are just after me to just do this and do that. And all these strings attached about what someone can get from you. Let that not be said of those of us who are following Christ in a radical way, who have abandoned ourselves to live in light of eternity because our motive should be to share the love and truth of Jesus Christ with the world, the gospel message, the message of reconciliation and salvation, and to live that out in our everyday lives. Amen. The next thing that I believe Paul modeled that we should learn from is investing through encouragement. In verse 10 through 12, he gives the illustration of a father. He said, we were, we were like a father to you in the sense of exhorting and encouraging you. Now, the word exhortation means to encourage someone to actually do something. You're, you're encouraging them to action. It's not just high five, you're doing a good job. It's no, I want you to do this, so I'm exhorting. I, I'm, I'm trying to motivate you this way. Because you, Could you imagine these people and the frustration that they would feel and the discouragement that they would feel like here they've heard the gospel has changed their lives and now they've lost everything and they're beginning to feel this pressure and Paul is trying to exhort them to continue on he says actually to live holy lives to be holy people in the middle of the challenges you're faced with to be a type of person that's living to please God and not just trying to please men, because remember, we showed you this. You saw this, and now we're wanting you to do this, whether we're there or not, because we showed you this is legit. We showed you this is real. We showed you this is the way. Now you need to live this way in our absence as well. With today being Father's Day, I think that this passage is a very appropriate passage because Paul reminds the Thessalonians that, listen, we've been conducting ourselves in a blameless way and he called them to remember the way that, that they encouraged them and exhorted them to follow that example, just like a father does his children. And so much could be said right there about verses 10 through 12. But what are we investing in, Dad? What are we investing in, Grandma and Grandpa? What are we investing in, business owner, manager, coworker, neighbor, friend, son, daughter? Who and what are we investing in? Are we investing in encouraging and exhorting people to live holy in spite of the challenges that we face in this culture? To live a holy life, to follow our example, to conduct themselves in a way that shows they understand the value of the gospel? To live in a way that they see a life that's worth following? I'm really proud of my kids and the value system that they have. Um, as I'm seeing them grow up and get older and they're placed in different social circumstances, my girls really value modesty. Um, and that blesses my heart as a dad <laughs> for a number of reasons. But they value modesty 
to the point to where it's now become their value. It's not just mom and dad were teaching and preaching this, but they understand the why behind it. To the point to where they're in uh, dance and they were going to do one of their dance recitals and they were concerned because they didn't know what the outfits were going to look like. And they said, Dad, I, I just don't think I can wear the outfit if it's going to be, you know, inappropriate. And so, well, babe, don't worry about it. We'll just see what it looks like, and, and we'll have that conversation then. So don't stress out about it. It's not, not a big deal. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out. It was a big deal to them. And the night that they actually gave them their outfits, my girls were like, oh, yay. It's, uh, it's something that's good. Like, they felt like that, that it, was, it, it was appropriate. But just to see that they were even concerned about that without us having to say anything, they, they value modesty. And even when they did their dance recital, um, they were hanging out with a bunch of girls that were on their team. And when I picked them up in, in between shows, because there was a little bit of time gap there, picked them up in between shows. And, and uh, I says to them, I said, well, well, how did it go, girls? And I'm like, oh, that was fun. That was great. And, and I said, well, what did you guys do while you're waiting all the other girls to finish? You know, well, we just sat there and hung out with our friends. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, what kind of friends do you have there? And, you know, some of them are, are really good. Some of them, they, they use some inappropriate language, and they do this and do that. And I said, well, well what do you do? Like, how do you, how do you interact with them on that? I said, well, you know, they say this and say that. They said, but, but we can still be friends with them. We just don't do those things. And I was like, yes. <laughs> because they have understood that I can be friends with someone who may not necessarily do all the things and hold all the values I have, but I can still engage them at a certain level without me compromising who I am. And when I saw that in my girls, I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome that they could be friends with that girl, because I'm so glad that they didn't choose to go, well, those girls are talking this way, so we're just going to go isolate ourselves. They were still able to engage that girl and be, be a friend to her. Um, and, and it just blessed me to see that. And I want to keep exhorting and encouraging that type of behavior in my kids. I, I want them to continue to stand for what they believe in. And, and maybe at some point as they have opportunity and have gained influence to speak truth into those people that they're influencing lives as well. But they're still setting a tone. They're still setting an example. And man, you better believe as a father, I'm going to go, great job. You guys are just doing awesome. And I love that they have those types of values. So what are you encouraging and what are you exhorting those that God has given you influence to continue to do? What are you encouraging? What type of behavior, what type of, what type of attitude, what type of living are you encouraging and exhorting others around you to do that God has given you influence with? doesn't matter if it's a spouse, it's a friend, if it's one of your kids. What type of things are you exhorting and encouraging? So we need to invest through encouragement. And then the last thing that Paul said here in verse 13 was, we thank God constantly for this, that when you heard the word of God, you took it as the word of God. Like you actually believed this was from God. In other words, he said, you knew there was something else going on. You knew that this just wasn't Paul having a really good idea, that this was Paul actually speaking something that was weighty, that was the word of the Lord. And he said, I thank God that you people got it. I thank God constantly that you guys didn't just think this was a Paul thing, that this wasn't just Paul's idea or Paul's understanding, but this was a word from the Lord. And I thank God that you understood that because even in the trials and challenges, you still remembered the goodness of God and what he's done in the middle of my trial, in the middle of my suffering. And you took that as the word of the Lord. And for Christ's sake, you can be used for the glory of God to live in light of eternity. 
So many times we want to give up when this life gets hard. So many times when we run into people who threaten us or disagree with us, we just want to go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll compromise. I'll throw up my surrender flag. But Paul kept thanking God for those who had been given influence with, and he thanked God by reminding them of the gospel, saying, you guys are remembering it, and I want to just say thank you, God, that you're remembering, that you're living this thing, that you're getting it, that you saw it modeled. Thankfulness will be your greatest friend during a struggle or trial. Your greatest friend. If you're going through a struggle or a trial right now, begin to thank God constantly for the gospel. And I promise you, it will begin to change your perspective so you can begin to see through the lens of eternity instead of just feeling sorry for yourself in the trial that you're in or when people don't treat you a certain way or when people don't act a certain way around you. Legit living it looks like this. I start off my morning with prayer. I seek the Lord before I leave the house. My day begins at 2.30 a.m. I've been an operator for 28 years. And I'm, my first train leaves Walnut Creek at 4.20 a.m. Driving motor coach, you're dealing with hundreds of people with attitudes. Um, so I take it personal. I change that around to help me with my Christian growth. So Lord, help me to have a good attitude when uh, someone comes on, might not have a bad day. Sometimes yell at me and I might not respond. I might not give you that reaction that you want. Why? Because I'm always trying to be aware that God is watching. He's watching my attitude. He's watching my reaction. So you have to learn to roll with whatever comes through your door, uh, whatever that might be, Something that someone who's disabled, uh, someone who might have a personal problem before they came to get on your bus, uh, someone with bags that they, they, they cannot carry on the bus by themselves. I mean, every second changes. Me having the attitude that I have here at work, caring and uh, helping others, it is paid off because now you have so many passengers who take your bus. They'll say like this, oh, that's the nice operator. That's the lady who always help us, or she'll get your bags, or she always call out her stops. They recognize me. They, and, and sometimes they'll wait for my bus. They won't even take anyone else's bus. Or we want your bus, you know, things like that. So it paid off in a way that I have earned, gotten so much respect out here till it's just unbelievable. It's just unbelievable how the seniors and those with disabilities look forward to seeing me because they know I'm going to do my job. And then, not only that, it gave me the opportunity to meet um, the gentleman who wrote the Chronicle. He rode my bus, if I'm not mistaken, several months. And during that several months, he was taking notes of me. This man had me down to the T. He was writing an article on how do you keep a good attitude in the workplace. And the article was about that, me keeping a good attitude. 
And I tell him, I said, you know what? I put God first. I put him first in the morning. He's the start of my day. Some people start off with coffee. Well, I start off with Jesus Christ. And so I tell him, and without him, I couldn't do it. I couldn't have this attitude. I couldn't serve you, but I'm serving it in Jesus' name. Why? Because he's watching. He's looking. He's taking notes of my life. When it's all finished and done with, I want him to say, well done. And that's what it looks like in our everyday lives. It doesn't have to be just a Sunday thing, amen? It's an everyday thing where we're putting Christ first by legit living. That means we're living in light of eternity. We're embracing people authentically. We're giving of ourselves generously, and we're investing in others through encouragement by thanking God constantly. And this is how we legitimize this message that we say we believe in others, uh, where they see that our walk and our talk match up, and they see we're people who actually believe this stuff. Not just people who say, oh, I go to such and such church, or I do this, or I, I do that. No, it's, it's in my attitude. It's in how I treat other people. It's in how I'm living for eternity. It's how I'm, I'm being generous. It's how I'm encouraging. It's how I'm just thanking God and looking at this as another opportunity to be a witness and to be a vessel of glory for Him. Not to where people think I'm great, but to where people think, wow, isn't God good? God is calling us to live a legit faith by being real followers of Jesus who live like eternity matters, by being people who are on a mission. Let's continue to grow more serious in our faith by being legit followers of Jesus for the sake of the gospel and to live in light of eternity. Amen. So thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to share your truth with our church family. Thank you so much for the truth that is just being heard and, 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 and just processed in people's hearts and minds right now. And I pray that you would just show us what our next steps are, God, whether it be repent, whether it be step up and take hold of something and do something, whether it be to live more intentionally Whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that you would continue to inspire people by your Holy Spirit and your word to take action, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We thank you for the results in Jesus' name. Amen.